And so, Lord God, with the trust we have, we say we want to trust some more. And trust is even a fruit of your spirit. So, Lord God, would you come and grow that fruit in our lives? Would you cause us, Lord? Would you nurture us? Would you, would you, would you grow us into trusters? And I will trust because you are doing it and you don't fail. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord God. Amen. That scene's from the movie A Walk in the Clouds, and I'm showing it to you just to kind of get you in a vineyardy sort of mood, you know, because a vineyard is a place of incredible growth and beauty and, and life, joy. A vineyard is a place where fruit is grown, put in these giant vats, and crushed and turned into wine. The Bible is full of stories about vineyards and grapes and wine. You may remember that on the cross in John chapter 19, right before Jesus cries, it is finished, he says, I thirst. And they take a sponge, they dip it in a liquid, put it on a stick and hold it up to his mouth and they give him a drink. Do you remember what the drink was? Yeah, vinegar. Sour wine. Bad wine, wine that's gone bad. And that's significant because over and over again in Scripture, Israel is referred to as the Lord's vineyard. Isaiah 5.1, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. But the song reveals that Israel, that vineyard, produces Beushim from Beosh, literally translated stinkberries. Yields stinkberries. Hosea 10.1, God says, Israel is a luxuriant vine, also translated empty vine, which yields fruit for itself. A luxuriant empty vine that yields fruit for itself. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Unless you grow grapes. <laughs> and I do. I happen to have two grapevines on the side of my house, and it's the weirdest thing. If I just leave them alone, they grow absolutely luxuriant. I mean, they just grow everywhere, just everywhere, but with very little and very poor fruit. However, if I just go at them and I just hack them down to barely nothing, it's incredible. The next year, there's just fruit everywhere, everywhere. In Isaiah 6, right after Isaiah describes Israel as a vineyard, Isaiah prophesies that Israel will be destroyed and burned, burned right down to its stump. And then Isaiah ends with this. The holy seed is that stump. The holy seed. That's the root of David. The root of David, who is Jesus. John has just quoted Isaiah 6 rather extensively. You may have remembered it a couple chapters ago. And now in our text in John, Jesus has just shared his last meal with his disciples, the one where he took a cup and he said, this, is the, this cup is the new covenant in, in my blood. And then at, at the end of chapter 14 that we looked at last time, he says, rise, let us go from here. And so they leave the Last Supper and they go to Gethsemane. On their way to Gethsemane, they would have gone probably up the Kidron Valley with the city on their left and ancient grapevines, ancient vineyards on their right. In the morning, Israel would deliver Jesus up to crucifixion. That's some strange and sour fruit in this vineyard. 
Well, in that place, at that time, Jesus says the following, chapter 15, verse 1, I am, ego eimi, it's the last of Jesus' I am statements. He's going to say it in response to the guards in a little bit, but, but uh, I am, um, it's a name for God. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, kathiro, prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are pruned or cleaned, katharos. It's the noun form of kathiro. Katharo and kathiros are the sources of our English word catharsis. You know what I mean? When you have a catharsis. Already you've been catharsisized because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is, literally was, thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me. Wow. Jesus is from, remember this from John chapter 1, Jesus is from the kolpos, the bosom, the chest, the lap of the Father. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I am the true vine, and he is the root of David, the holy seed, the fruit, the, the root and the fruit. I am the vine. What is a vine? We, we, you know, it, it really is a very mysterious thing it, called life that mixes dirt from the ground with light from heaven and grows. In the beginning, God, who is light, took dirt and breathed his breath of life into it, and Adam became a living nephesh, a soul. I am the vine. You are the branches, said Jesus, the eschatos, Adam. Branches, you know, are, are literally in the vine. I mean, they are part of the vine. When I prune my grapevines on the side of the house, I don't know where the vine ends and, and, and the branch begins. Paul wrote that we are the body of Christ and that it is no longer I who live, he said, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus is the vine and certainly he is the life in, in every branch in him. The branches abide in the vine. We abide in our abode. And you remember a couple times ago, we talked about Jesus talking about our abode and we talked about how the process of abiding prepares an abode. When I finally and completely come to abide in my abode, I'm home. Home. You know, no one ever says, what's the purpose of being at home? What, what on earth do you hope to produce being at home? I mean, home is not a means to an end. Home is the end. So I don't have a purpose-driven home. <laughs> My purpose is to drive home. Home is where I rest. Home's where I unwind. Home is where I can just let down. Home is where I hang out, where I abide. Home is where I waste time. Home is where I stop producing. And yet, ironically, Jesus says that that place 
where I stop producing will produce fruit when that place is him. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in my love. Make yourself at home in me and my love. The people that I'm at home with are my family. And when my kids were little, they were most at home on my lap. I mean, they acted like they owned it. Didn't matter where we were. I'm sitting down. They'd crawl up there and just sit there. No reason, they'd just do it. They just sit there. Didn't have a, didn't have a plan, purpose, anything. They just sat there, and, and uh, they'd uh, abide there. Uh, it was their home. Sometimes they'd ask me to tell them a story while they sat on my lap. Sometimes they'd tell me a story, just talk and talk and talk, especially, especially Elizabeth. This is probably when she's a little bit older, but Elizabeth just loved to talk. She knew everything in the world. She actually used to pray that every night. Thank you that I know everything in the world. And she'd just talk and talk and, and talk, talk, talk about everything, and it really made very little sense. And so I think if most people were to watch it, they'd say, well, um, that is just uh, pretty, pretty unfruitful. It's a waste of time. But I tell you what, I'd rather listen to Elizabeth babble than a lecture from the most brilliant intellectual in, in all the world. Actually, it really didn't matter what she said. Didn't matter what she did. Just that she was on my lap. Head resting against my chest. One night I, I came home late from work. I was a youth pastor in California and I'd come through the back gate of our house, and it was probably around 11 or 12 after got done cleaning up all the mess from youth group. I always came home through the back gate, but this night as I came through the back gate and was walking into the house in the backyard, I, I tripped over something, and I looked down, and it was my old blue shirt, my favorite short-sleeved blue shirt. So I went inside and said, honey, what's my favorite blue shirt doing in the backyard, in the grass? And she said, well, Peter, um, today... Elizabeth, she just really missed you. And so this afternoon, she went to the laundry room, and she got your stinky old blue shirt out of the dirty laundry, and she carried it out into the backyard. At Peter, she stood there at the back gate staring through the slats for the longest time. And then she sat down on the grass holding your blue shirt. And then she'd get up, and she'd stare through the slats. And then she, like, would lie there on her back staring at the sky holding your your blue shirt. She said, this, this went on and on till dinner time. I, I said, honey, you need to come in for dinner. And she said, no, I wait for daddy. I wait for daddy. So finally, um, I made some snacks and I took them out to her. She was out there for like four hours and, and, and then it got dark and I made her come in. See, Elizabeth loved to abide in her abode, which was my lap. And I love to abide in my abode, which was Elizabeth. Jesus said, abide in my love. You can't produce his love. You can't earn his love. You can only make your home in his love. His love is unconditional. That means it's already there. Even before you were there, it's already there. And it will always be there. You can't produce it, and yet it will produce things in you and through you. Abide in it, and you'll bear fruit. When Elizabeth was little, you know, she used to write sermons for me because she saw that I found that difficult and rather stressful, so she'd just write them for me. And uh, I remember one morning I, I was asking the kids at breakfast, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Elizabeth said, I'm going to be a paleontologist. I remembered that I had just told them like the, earlier the, the day before or whatever that I had studied paleontology in college or something. She said, I'm going to be a paleontologist. And she was quiet for a while and she said, Daddy? I said, uh-huh. What's a paleontologist? <laughs> she would follow me even when I told her not to. 
which resulted in some serious injuries. She still has like a scar across her forehead from a rock that hit her in the middle of the head, following me up a pile of mine tailings when I told her not to follow. She followed me even when it hurt. Uh, back in like 92 or something like that, I went on a salsa kick. I was trying all the salsas I could. And I remember I'd sit there at the coffee table. Elizabeth would be standing at the coffee table with me, three years old, eating hot salsa, tears just streaming down her cheeks. And I remember it was one time I said to her, I said, honey, you don't have to eat the salsa. And she said, but daddy... I love salsa. We love salsa, don't we? She produced fruit. And I never told her that she had to. It was her joy, life in my image. Galatians 6, St. Paul lists fruit of the Spirit as opposed to works of the flesh. Works. Stuff from the flesh is, is, is work. Stuff from the spirit is fruit. You know, a branch doesn't try to produce fruit. It just abides. And the fruit happens. Fruit really isn't about the self. So you can't produce it with yourself with worrying about the self, trying to produce more and more and more self. You know, a branch in a vine is about itself, and growth is just more self. But fruit is given away. It's life given away. Think about it. It's a seed, a life for another. One day I took Elizabeth to a doctor for a checkup and uh, she sat up there on the examination table, you know, just swinging her feet. And this, this lady doctor uh, came in to give Elizabeth her, her checkup. And I remember she started off by saying, well, so Elizabeth, tell me, what do you like about yourself? And immediately Elizabeth's eyes grew big. She kicked her legs under the table. She looked over at me and she said, I like being with my daddy. And immediately... This doctor said, no! I could tell that came from some old wound deep inside. She said, no! And, and then she caught herself and she said, I, I mean, what do you like about Elizabeth? Elizabeth looked at her like, uh, well, I thought I just told you. She said, what I mean is, do you, do, do you like that you run fast or that you sing well? And, and I remember Elizabeth sat there a minute and she said, well, um, I like that I run fast. And my heart just sank. Because that's not who Elizabeth is. And that doesn't end in joy. It ends in herself, her independent, autonomous, lonely self. And one day, her legs will fail, but love won't fail. Even if I fail, love won't fail, because God is love and he doesn't fail. A Christian is someone who likes being with their daddy. They lose themselves in him and find themselves in him, and they themselves become fruit of him from abiding in him. So where there was a container of arrogance and self, there is now a vessel of grace, his grace, his love, new wine. Jesus said, abide in me and bear much fruit. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And if you abide in his love, you are keeping his commandments, aren't you? Because that is his commandment. You know why I hate it when my kids break my commandments? It's really not about the particulars of the commandment. I mean, we can paint over the crayon marks on the wall. We can get the dent removed from the car. We can even bail them out of jail if need be. It's not the commandments themselves, but that choosing to break them is choosing to hide from me, which is choosing to no longer abide in me. 
So if you're breaking commandments and producing, you know, stink berries all over the place, you can't fix it simply by trying. Problem is that you hide and you no longer abide. One day when Elizabeth was about six, she was acting particularly ornery. I mean, there was Bayushim all over our house, stink berries everywhere that she went. That night we said, okay, well, we're just going out. We're all going out to dinner. So we got everybody in, in the van, and on the way to dinner, Elizabeth was picking fights with everybody, calling people's names, breaking all the commandments she, she could. So when we got to the restaurant, I parked the car, and I remember I just said, okay, everybody inside except Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, you, you come up here and sit down next to me. Passenger seat, I was in the, the driver's seat, and with my word, I issued judgment. I began to prune. I said, honey, what on earth has gotten into you? You're such a sweetheart, but I mean, you've just been ornery, nasty, mean to everybody. What has gotten into you? And I remember she looked up at me. I wasn't expecting an answer, and this is what she said. I know, (laughs) but I'm not telling you. And I poked and I prodded and I pried. Elizabeth is very strong-willed, so that, that usually wasn't, isn't a method that works well with her. And so, so after a time, I said, well, listen, you, you just come over here and sit on my lap. And, and I just loved on her. I wrapped my arms around her and I just hugged her. And, and I could tell my lap was burning her pride. Until finally, um, finally she just cracked. And through tears and through sobs, this is, this is what she said. She said... Daddy, do you remember when you came to my kindergarten class? I said, yeah. I said, do you remember Kelly? Do you remember her? I said, yeah, she's this little girl that just like glommed onto me, would not let go of me. She said, well, when you came to my kindergarten class after you left my kindergarten class, Kelly said to me that you didn't really love me. You loved her. And then Elizabeth just like fell apart. Catharsis, like something was just being cut right out of her. And so I held her ever more tightly and I, I said, honey, does Kelly have a daddy? And Elizabeth said, yeah, but he just moved away from Kelly and her mommy. I said, sweetheart, I want you to look at me, listen to me. I held her by the face and I said, I will always love you. Sweetheart, that doesn't change. Please don't doubt my love for you. And and, and when you doubt my love for you, I want you to come tell me, okay? I need you to come tell me. I want you to come tell me and remember that I I love you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, Jesus came to tell you that you have a daddy. And he loves you very, very much. And he wants you to remember that. I was telling Elizabeth, abide in my love. And so what had gotten into Elizabeth? (laughs) A lie from hell, a lie that you've all listened to, and this is the lie, your father does not love you. And you want him to love you, don't you? So maybe you ought to pick some fights. Maybe you ought to win some races. Maybe you ought to seize some knowledge and make yourself in his image. Maybe you ought to assert yourself. You know, that's what an unfruitful grapevine is. A branch that asserts itself. Just more self. It grows and grows and grows, but but not with fruit. You know, the world confuses growth with fruit. So if things get bigger, we will have to say, well, look at all the fruit, but bigger and bigger branches are actually less and less fruit. 
All kinds of stuff grows. Right? National debt grows. The waistline grows. Cancer grows. Wickedness grows. Church buildings, budgets, attendance grow. Human religion grows. And to get this, we can make it grow with our flesh, with our knowledge of good and evil. Israel grew. It grew, grew full of itself. But, but what was Israel to be? Remember when Abraham was called? He, he was blessed to be a blessing to all the nations, all the peoples of the earth, but grace to be graceful. But Israel became full of itself, about itself. And fruit is not. Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control. And he writes, faith, hope, and love abide. And what is the fruit of the vine? What's the fruit of the vine? Well, Jesus had held a cup of it that very night, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. My blood. The old covenant is works of the flesh. The new covenant is the grace of God. The production of grace in this world is rather counterintuitive. Just like the production of grapes in this world is rather counterintuitive. So anyway, Elizabeth and I sat in the front seat of the van. She sat on my lap. We sat in the van drinking grace, abiding in our abode, enjoying the fruit of the vine. What if the entire world is all about producing that fruit so that we can enjoy it at home on our Father's lap forever. You know, the book of the Revelation, John's Revelation, says that, 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 that the harvest of this earth is bread and wine. How do you produce fruit like that? How do you produce more fruit like that. Well, that was the question as they journeyed from the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would be delivered up. Verse 2. Every branch in me, says Jesus, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That can be translated take away, but more commonly, the word means take up or lift up. And I think that makes more sense because the branches are in him. It wouldn't take him away. You know, when a vine dresser finds a vine that's growing along the ground, he lifts the vine up and ties it to a trellis. For on the ground, in the dirt, out of the light, the vine won't bear fruit. And so when you're growing in, in the wrong direction, the vine dresser will discipline you. He'll take you out of the dirt and tie you to a place in the sun. Hebrews 12, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Every son. Hebrews 5, 8, even Jesus, the son, learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience. And he was never disobedient. And yet he does bear our disobedience. And he suffers with us and in us. He is the vine and certainly he is the life in every branch in him. But, but, but now listen to what Jesus says next because this is really crazy. Every branch, every branch, every branch that does, bear, that does bear fruit. So that's a good thing. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. So maybe you've had this experience, you know, everything is growing. Everything is growing and you are being obedient, maybe more obedient than you've, than you've ever been before. And there's fruit, there's real fruit. And then all of a sudden it's like the vine dresser just comes along and <laughs> takes it all away. And you cry out, you, 
what did I do wrong? Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe you did something right. Maybe you bore fruit. And the vine dresser said, great! They're going to bear more fruit. I'm going to cut them right down to the root. <laughs> the stump, Jesus. I'm telling you, the time in my life when I was being most fruitful, experiencing the most growth, being the, the most obedient so far, the vine dresser came along and cut it all away with his word and for the sake of his word. 15 years of growth, 15 years of labor. I mean, hard labor, body, mind, soul, and spirit, blood, sweat, and tears. And when it happened, I just cried over and over again. This was my prayer life. Father, what the hell are you doing? I bet that was their prayer life. That night, just think of it, three years, everything given up following this guy. Thousands and thousands of people, signs, wonders, miracles, mobs chasing Jesus to make him king. And then the word just cuts it all away. I'm leaving. But they weren't the only ones that felt that pain. Jesus, Jesus felt that pain. I think he feels, he feels all the pain. He feels the pain. And later, that uh, very day, this was his prayer. <laughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The ultimate man, the eschatos Adam, was being pruned. As all our flesh, all our works, all our pride was cut away. Humanity cut right down to the stump, hanging on a cross. Jesus, the holy seed. But let me ask you, has it borne fruit? <laughs> has Jesus Christ and him crucified Born fruit? Yeah. Kind of counterintuitive, huh? Well, anyway, our, our old selves were cut away in Christ. That's what Scripture says, even in the circumcision of Christ. It's wild stuff. But our old selves were cut away, and in that place, God's grace remains his grace, and it begins to grow. Well, what happens to, to that part that was cut away? I mean, our old selves, our sin nature, our pride, our ego, our old man, our works. Well, well the vine dresser gathers all that stuff and throws that dead refuse into the fire. Whatever gain I had, writes Paul, whatever gain I had, and he's talking about all of his religious accomplishments according to the law, whatever gain I have is countess as refuse that I might know him. Verse 6, Jesus says something that terrifies a lot of people because folks have explained it this way, that Jesus was saying, abide in my love or I will torment you endlessly with fire. I don't know about you, but it's pretty hard for me to relax and, and, and abide in the arms of someone that is pondering whether or not they were going to torment or torture me endlessly with fire. We'll consider, number one, vine dressers just aren't into torturing dead branches endlessly with fire. The fire simply disposes of the dead refuse. And number two, these branches are already dead. They're not, they're not attached to the vine. J Jesus literally says, if anyone may not remain in me, he was cast out as a branch and was withered, and they gathered them and cast them into the fire, and they are destroyed. You know, you know, you know whatever is dead in me needs to be destroyed. It's necrotic. That's what doctors call it. It's, it's necrotic. And, and if anyone is only dead, that means they have no life, no breath, no soul, no Jesus in them. And gosh, they should be destroyed. But number three, in Scripture, many things are destroyed by fire. Sodom, 
Jerusalem, Israel, the earth, all destroyed. And then they show up again, brand new. You know, when a vine dresser burns the, the branches, he gets ashes, and he usually throws them back into the vineyard, and then they seep down into the soil, and they turn into fruit. It's a mystery. But anyway, number four, I watched my father die. He exhaled this world and inhaled the next. And his dust, his flesh, his body, we watched it. was cut off. You know what we did with it? We had it burned. Because <laughs> it had started to get all withered. It had been happening for quite a while. And then it got stiff. And if we wouldn't have done that, believe me, it would have just stunk. So now mom has the ashes on, on the break front in the TV room because we don't have a vineyard. We don't know where to dump them. She has the ashes on the break front in the TV room. And my dad, he has a new body full of new wine, full of joy. Scripture says Jesus was the first fruit of creation, first fruit of the, of the new creation. Now my dad is also a fruit, eternal, indestructible, and yet fashioned here in space and time with infinite love. I can't understand all of God's judgments, but I do know that all judgment has been given to Jesus, and I know God is love, and Jesus is the presence of love, the presence of my Father, and so I can abide in his love even when I'm being pruned, especially when I'm being pruned, for in fact, that is the place where the fruit is formed. Last week, I called Elizabeth up at CSU, and I asked her, honey, can I talk about you in the sermon? <laughs> Even the night at Cleo Wallace eight years ago? And she said yes. With some conditions that I will try to abide by. <laughs> Elizabeth is just an absolutely incredible kid. All my kids are in their own unique ways, incredible. But eight years ago, she was going through hell. And I was going through hell. At that time, my dad was dying, and people thought that I was all worried about my dad, but I really wasn't. He knew how to die. Elizabeth did not. She was a seventh grader at the time, and for a few years, it just felt like she'd been drifting away. That's, that's normal, happens with kids. That summer, she had ran into some real problems. She, she broke some of my commandments, but I didn't really care about the commandments. I cared that she no longer felt at home in me. It got worse and worse and worse. She, she battled depression. She battled fear. She battled all sorts of things, and finally... She went to see a, a counselor, part of our church, and one evening she mentioned thoughts of death. And the counselor called the authorities. And the authorities came and they took Elizabeth away. At the time, I'd just published a book. My church had grown from the smallest in the presbytery to the largest in the presbytery, or second largest in the presbytery of the West. But I mean, I was feeling strong. I, I had been feeling powerful. I had been feeling successful. But now it was like I cared about none of that. I remember thinking, God, all I want is Elizabeth. Back on my lap. She waited for me, Lord, at the last gate, and I, I will wait forever for her. One day at that time, Susan was praying and she just cried out to God, what are you doing? And she heard him answer. He said, I'm saving her. Oh, he, he has some weird ways of saving people, doesn't he? And it's not just about saying some prayer at camp and getting your ticket punched and then it's over. It's like a whole life kind of deal. I remember that night 
we drove down to Cleo Wallace Psychiatric Facility. They brought Elizabeth into the room, and we had to speak to her with this state mediator, counselor, person present. I mean, it just about killed me. I felt so fruitless in that place at that time, in that situation. I felt so powerless. I felt like all my strength had just been cut away. Well, fortunately, Elizabeth only had to stay there one night, and, and, and then she came back home. But, but it was, was not easy. The weeks that followed were, were really tough. And I remember this one day. I was leaving town to go speak at Westmont College. And as I was getting ready and preparing to go, Elizabeth approached me. And she handed me an envelope, a sealed envelope. And she said, Daddy, this is for you. And I want you to promise me that you will not open the envelope till you're on the plane and the plane has pulled back from the terminal. Oh, that was terrifying. But I agreed. I mean, I was just dying inside, but I kept my promise. And the moment that the plane pulled back from the terminal, I just ripped the envelope open, and I pulled this out. This was the letter that she had sent me. And check this out. She wrote this that night in that place at Cleo Wallace when I felt so entirely fruitless. And this is what I read. She writes, Dear Daddy, Right now I'm sitting in my bed. I just came back from talking to you. I feel broken inside. To know that you are in the same building as me, but I can't be with you right now. All I really want right now is for you to hold me and tell me you love me, and I will make it through this time. And then she shares a picture that she had in her mind that evening. I was three years old again, and you were holding me singing a song. The lyrics of the song say, everything is going to be all right, rock-a-bye. And then Jesus is holding both of us together singing, everything is going to be all right, rock-a-bye. And as Jesus said to us, everything is going to be all right. He is rocking us to sleep. I love you so much, no words could describe. I am truly sorry. Your girl, Elizabeth. Oh, when I finished that, I, re I remember I just wanted to stand up in the airplane, turn around and yell to everybody, she's back on my lap! And check this out. I'm on Jesus' lap. Just as I wanted Elizabeth on my lap, Jesus wanted me on his lap. She was emptied of her pride, her ego, herself, and drinking my grace, and I was emptied of my pride, my ego, myself, drinking God's grace. She was abiding in me, and I was abiding in Jesus, and Jesus was abiding in us. He is the life, the new wine that we both were drinking. You know, maybe this entire world, creation, fall, Abraham, Israel, Jerusalem, even Jesus dying in Jerusalem. Maybe all your success and all your failure, maybe everything is simply about getting you home to your father's lap where you abide in your abode and drink his love as he drinks your love, his love in you. Maybe all he wants is you on his lap, at home, forever. And so that night he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. 
broken for you and given to you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. Remember. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. As often as you drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Remember, remember, remember. And I tell you truly, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so Israel would not abide. Human religion doesn't abide. It's about itself. Israel was, would, not, would not abide. And, and so Israel was cut, burned, right, right, right down to the root. And the new Israel, the Israel of God, began to grow from the root. And already that night, it was bearing fruit. John, you remember John who wrote this gospel? John, Jesus had nicknamed him the son of thunder. I mean, John was just, you know, full of himself. And, and yet that night, John was humbled. And Scripture records that John rested his head upon Jesus' kolpos, his chest, his lap. Abide there. I, I don't know exactly what that means for you. Sometimes I, I hope it means just sitting and listening to his stories, maybe reading his word, letting him tell you stories. S sometimes it means you just talk to him. It's a, you don't even have to make sense, okay? He just likes to hear your voice. Or maybe it's going for a walk with him. But abide in him and abide in his love wherever you go. Abide in this, the love of your Father. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and worship. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and place the seed in your kolpos. Amen. wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely in the light of his glory and which they originally planted the vineyard. Now, uh, I just saw you come to the table and partake. The Word of God, with whom, through whom, all things that have been made, uh, that were made, have been made. Uh, the, the, the Word, the root of David, the imperishable eternal seed was implanted in the soil of your heart. Abide there. Your home. He's come to be with you. That's your home. 
where do you go when you're stressed out? Where, where do you go when you're overwhelmed? Do you know how that is? You're with a bunch of people, you're just overwhelmed. You just want to get somewhere. Where do you go when you're ashamed? Ouch. That may be a kind of embarrassing place. But he's saying, would you make me your home? Would you invite me into your current home? Because check this out, you can't clean up that place right now. He needs to clean it up. But he longs to abide with you there. He doesn't wait for you to clean it up. And so let's do that right now. Would you just close your eyes for a minute and think of your home. And, and I mean, you know, the place, but what you do there, what you rely on when you're in that kind of a situation. Would you just say, say this to, you just say this silently in your heart after me. Um, think of that place and just say, Jesus, I give you my home. I'd like you to be my home. Thank you. Amen. Abide in his love and fruit will happen. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen. Hey there. I hope the message that you just heard or viewed helped you to believe a little more that God is better than you thought, the love of Jesus is deeper than you know, and the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. If that's so, I'd love it if you would consider two things. Number one, ask yourself if there's someone that you know that might benefit from this message, and then uh, forward this link onto them. There are several ways that you can do that by visiting our website at thesanctuarydowntown.org. Secondly, I'd love it if you'd uh, take just a moment and uh, ask the Lord if He'd like you to contribute to this endeavor financially. We really can't do this except for the fact that God inspires people like you um, to give. And uh, you can do that by uh, going to the website and clicking on uh, the donate button or uh, by simply mailing a check to the Sanctuary Downtown at uh, 2215 West 30th Avenue, Denver, Colorado 80211. Uh, thanks for being a part of what we're doing, and God bless you.